Hakim is a 56-year-old man who established care with you one month ago, two weeks after his prior physician retired. On reviewing Kim's chart, you noted that electrolytes and renal function were normal, but that his blood pressure had not been well controlled on a low-dose thiazide diuretic. On his first visit with you, you added lisinopril, an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor. On today's follow-up, Kim's blood pressure is improved, but he complains of weakness and palpitations. You check a routine metabolic panel. Kim's potassium is 5.8, which is moderately elevated. What could be causing Kim's elevated potassium? What is the etiology of this clinical condition? And what other diagnostic testing would you order? Hi and welcome to AudioBricks. I'm Alex Dennis and this is the break on hypoaldosteronism. Let's get to it. After completing this section, you'll be able to 1. Define hypoaldosteronism and differentiate primary from secondary. 2. Describe how hypoaldosteronism presents. 3. Outline the most common causes of hypoaldosteronism. 4. Describe how to diagnose this condition. And 5. Explain how to treat hypoaldosteronism. Part 1. What is hypoaldosteronism? Hypoaldosteronism is a condition in which the adrenal cortex produces too little aldosterone. Aldosterone, a mineralocorticoid hormone made in the adrenal glands, plays a central role in the regulation of blood pressure and blood volume. Aldosterone stimulates sodium and water reabsorption to help maintain fluid balance. Its other main function is to promote renal potassium and hydrogen ion secretion. Primary versus secondary hypoaldosteronism have to do with the root cause of the problem. Primary hypoaldosteronism occurs when the adrenal cortex itself is unable to produce aldosterone, even in the setting of elevated renin stimulation. Primary aldosterone deficiency is usually caused by adrenal insufficiency, which happens in Addison's disease, 21-hydroxylase-deficient congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or aldosterone synthase enzyme deficiency. Secondary hypoaldosteronism occurs when the adrenal cortex is functioning normally, but there is a lack of stimulation by renin, usually due to impairment of the renin-angiotensin system, which we will discuss later in this episode. Aldosterone deficiency leads to sodium wasting in the urine with loss of extracellular volume, resulting in a state of hypovolemia. This will lead to low blood volume and low blood pressure. It also leads to a drop in renal potassium excretion, causing hyperkalemia, or high blood potassium, and reduced renal hydrogen ion excretion, causing metabolic acidosis, too much acid production. There are symptoms associated with each of these factors. Part 2. How does a patient with hypoaldosteronism present? Regardless of whether the cause is primary or secondary, Patients with low aldosterone can experience dizziness and orthostatic hypotension since they have low renal sodium reabsorption and low extracellular volume. Their potassium and hydrogen ion excess may lead to hyperkalemia and metabolic acidosis. These serum abnormalities are usually asymptomatic. However, if the potassium excess becomes severe enough, patients may have muscle weakness, palpitations, or even cardiac arrest, the latter due to the adverse effects of hyperkalemia on the heart. Let's pause here for a knowledge check. What does hypoaldosteronism do to serum potassium and urine sodium? 
A lack of aldosterone results in increased serum potassium and also increased urinary sodium. Part 3. What causes hypoaldosteronism? Normally, the level of aldosterone is maintained by the renin-angiotensin system. Renin is an enzyme released by the renal juxtaglomerular cells. It converts the constitutively expressed proenzyme angiotensinogen to angiotensin 1, which is in turn converted to angiotensin 2 by the enzyme angiotensin-converting enzyme, which is abbreviated ACE. Angiotensinogen is made by the liver, renin by the juxtaglomerular cells, and the ACE by the endothelium of the lung. Angiotensin II has direct effects to constrict blood vessels, but also stimulates aldosterone secretion by the adrenal cortex. The general function of the system is to maintain blood pressure along with extracellular volume and blood volume. Therefore, anything that decreases renin secretion, decreases angiotensin II, or decreases adrenal aldosterone synthesis will cause hypoaldosteronism. Let's take these causes one at a time. Among them, note that the most common causes of hypoaldosteronism are decreased renin in the setting of renal insufficiency. That can happen secondary to diabetic or other kidney disease, and also secondary to use of NSAIDs. Angiotensin inhibitors, such as ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, which are abbreviated ARBs, are also frequent culprits. Let's start at the top of the RAS system and consider a state of low renin, which we call hyporenidemic hypoaldosteronism. What might cause persistent low renin excretion? Well, chronic kidney disease can cause such a state in which the renin-secreting juxtaglomerular cells become damaged. That's most often the cause of low renin and low aldosterone, and is mostly due to chronic urinary tract obstruction or interstitial renal disease, such as interstitial disease due to chronic NSAID use. Then there's diabetes mellitus, another particularly common cause of chronic kidney disease and hypoaldosteronism. This may be in part due to diabetic sympathetic neuropathy. The sympathetic nerves normally stimulate the juxtaglomerular cells to make renin in response to low blood pressure or blood volume, and if the nerves are damaged, renin production drops. This complication of diabetes is seen most often in patients with diabetic nephropathy, the glomerular disease associated with long-standing diabetes. Finally, some drugs like NSAIDs and the anti-rejection drugs cyclosporine and tacrolimus may reduce renin secretion. Moving along our RAS system, let's consider causes of low angiotensin II. Low angiotensin II levels, with normal or high renin, is most commonly due to ACE inhibitor drugs. These drugs inhibit angiotensin-converting enzyme and reduce the conversion of angiotensin I to angiotensin II. The lower angiotensin II levels make the drugs good for blood pressure control and for kidney protection, as lower angiotensin II levels reduce both arteriolar constriction and intrarenal capillary pressure. But the low angiotensin II levels will also reduce aldosterone levels, causing hyperkalemia in some cases. This is a common side effect of these drugs. Finally, let's turn our attention to low adrenal aldosterone secretion or effect. Low aldosterone secretion with normal renin and angiotensin II is largely due to drugs and adrenal disease. There are drugs that reduce aldosterone release, and these are the most common culprits. These include heparin, NSAIDs, and ARBs. And then there's the aldosterone receptor antagonists like spironolactone, which don't quite reduce aldosterone levels, but they do block its effect. 
then more rarely patients can have diseases or genetic disorders that result in low aldosterone secretion. Among these are primary adrenal insufficiency, which is called Addison's disease, and that will reduce cortisol and aldosterone synthesis, so lead to effects of dehypohaldosteronism. I remember that Addison is a deficit, a deficit Addison. See what I did there? Then there's 21-alpha-hydroxylase deficiency, a form of congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which will also reduce aldosterone as well as cortisol. And then there's also rare inherited disorders of aldosterone synthesis, but we'll not detail these here. Uh, finally, severe illness, as in ICU patients, can also reduce aldosterone release. All right, quick check-in time. ACE inhibitors inhibit which enzymatic process? ACE inhibitors block the angiotensin-converting enzyme, which mediates the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. Regardless of the cause, patients with hypoaldosteronism are at a risk for hyperkalemia and volume depletion, as we mentioned. Another complication is type 4, or hyperkalemic renal tubular acidosis, a type of metabolic acidosis with a normal anion gap. Here, the low aldosterone causes chronic hyperkalemia, and this inhibits the production of ammonium by the proximal tubule. Ammonium acts as an important buffer for renal acid excretion, so low renal ammonia means low acid excretion and the development of a chronic metabolic acidosis. Part 4. How do we diagnose hypoaldosteronism? The diagnosis is most often suspected when patients have hyperkalemia and a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. Usually the history, physical exam, and routine labs, for example, serum potassium, bicarb, and creatinine, will identify one of the causes we just mentioned, since drugs and kidney disease are the two main causes. On routine labs, elevated potassium, so greater than 5.5, should be seen, indicating hyperkalemia. Additionally, Peaked T-waves on EKG are a sign of hyperkalemia. I saw an illustration once of a normal EKG with a hand pulling on the last wave, so the T-wave, to showcase what a peaked T-wave looked like, which really stuck with me. Drawing serum aldosterone and renin levels usually is not warranted. Primary adrenal insufficiency is ruled out by checking a random serum cortisol level and with ACTH stimulation testing if needed. Okay, so now we know what symptoms are associated with hypoaldosteronism, but what's her differential diagnosis if a patient presents with most of these? Well, most patients who present with dizziness and orthostatic hypotension have simple volume depletion due to lack of fluid intake, vomiting, diarrhea, or heat exposure. The elderly and patients with diabetes mellitus may have dysregulated sympathetic nervous system function, causing orthostatic hypotension. Note that among these... Only patients with diabetes would also be likely to have hyperkalemia, for reasons we mentioned earlier. Additionally, patients with Addison's disease or adrenal insufficiency may have hypoaldosteronism along with their low cortisol. Let's try a simple question. How does hyperkalemia manifest on an EKG? Peaked T waves may be observed on patients with hyperkalemia. Part 5. How do we treat hypoaldosteronism? Treatment consists of removing offending drugs if hyperkalemia is severe, so that would be a serum potassium of over 5.5 
or if you can see some EKG changes like peaked T waves. If the patient has hypotension or dizziness, administering the synthetic mineralocorticoid drug fludrocortisone may be helpful, but it has the potential adverse effect of excess sodium retention causing edema. For renal-induced hypoaldosteronism, the damage to the kidneys is often already done. If the damage is irreversible, the hypoaldosteronism needs to be managed medically. Diuretics that reduce hyperkalemia can be used in the setting of volume overload. Sodium bicarbonate may be used to correct metabolic acidosis and increase urinary potassium excretion. Let's see if that's stuck. What synthetic mineralocorticoid may be administered to treat hypoaldosteronism? If you said fludrocortisone, you got it. We've already reached the end of our episode. Let's do a quick review to see if you mastered the content we just covered. What is the defining feature of hypoaldosteronism? Whether primary or secondary, hypoaldosteronism is, as the name implies, a reduced level of aldosterone. What are some symptoms a patient with hypoaldosteronism might display? Hypoaldosteronism often presents with dizziness and orthostasis, so postural hypotension. What are the most common causes of hypoaldosteronism? Hypoaldosteronism is most often caused by kidney disease and by low renin secretion. What metabolic disturbance is associated with hypoaldosteronism? Hypoaldosteronism may cause a type 4 or hyperkalemic renal tubular acidosis due to chronic hyperkalemia inhibiting the production of ammonium, an important buffer for renal acid excretion. What routine lab findings are indicative of hypoaldosteronism? Findings of hyperkalemia and non-iron gap metabolic acidosis warrant the inclusion of hypoaldosteronism in the differential diagnosis. And finally, how is hypoaldosteronism treated? Treatment of hypoaldosteronism includes the removal of the offending agent or treatment of the underlying medical condition, and the synthetic mineralocorticoid fludrocortisone may be used. And that's it for hypoaldosteronism. Let's revisit our patient from the beginning of this episode. Think back to Kim now. He's a new patient of yours, and you noticed from reviewing his chart that his blood pressure was not well controlled. So you started him on an ACE inhibitor in addition to the thiazide diuretic he's been receiving. Now one month later, his blood pressure is better, but he complains about palpitations and weakness and is found to have moderately elevated potassium. What could be causing his elevated potassium? What is the etiology of his condition? And what other diagnostic testing would you order? You suspect ACE inhibitor-induced hypoaldosteronism as the cause of Kim's elevated potassium, and you begin your clinical reasoning by first reviewing in your head normal renal physiology. Angiotensin-converting enzyme converts angiotensin-1 to angiotensin-2, 
and angiotensin II stimulates the release of aldosterone. Since lisinopril is an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor, angiotensin II and aldosterone levels fall. The resultant hypoaldosteronism leads to reduced renal potassium excretion and an elevated serum potassium. Kim's electrocardiogram shows peaked T waves consistent with hyperkalemia. After discontinuation of the ACE inhibitor and appropriate acute treatment for Kim's hyperkalemia, his potassium level normalizes. You substitute another antihypertensive medication for his lisinopril, and his blood pressure is well controlled at his next visit. And that's a wrap on hypoaldosteronism. My two main takeaways are 1. Regardless of the root cause, symptoms of hypoaldosteronism are consistent because they are caused by the low aldosterone levels. And two, if you see hyperkalemia and a non-iron gap metabolic acidosis, think about hypoaldosteronism. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. As always, your feedback is super helpful to us. You can also get the full RxBricks experience online at www.usmle-rx.com. I will catch you on the next one.